Hi, I'm Lisa McKee, Marketing Director, Asia-Pacific O&M Halyard, and you're listening to the Halyard Education Podcast Series. In this episode, we're turning our attention to PPE used in a pandemic. With global supply shortages, hospitals are faced with the need to know whether certain protective equipment that is available is actually suitable in lieu of other products being scarce. What the CDC and other clinical bodies are saying about reusing PPE and what are the key differences between PPE intended for surgical versus non-surgical use. To discuss these questions and more, I'm joined by Dr. Laurent Dreyfus, our Global Medical and Clinical Affairs Director at O&M Halyard, and co-host Ty Bouvier, Marketing Manager for PPE Asia-Pacific at O&M Halyard. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Dr. Dreyfus, before we get into the details of PPE used during a pandemic environment, our listeners may not actually be aware that not only are you Global and Medical Clinical Affairs Director, you also moonlight as a frontline healthcare worker. Well, that's right, Lisa. I've been working in the emergency department for 18 years in Miami, Florida, and as some of you may know, has been an epicenter of COVID-19. Well, I assume you must have had extensive experience treating patients presenting with COVID-19. Well, that's an understatement. Our hospital has been over capacity for probably the last two to three months. At one point, 90% of our admitted patients were testing positive for COVID-19. So what's it been like for you personally as a healthcare worker on the front line? Well, it's been very difficult. When it first struck us back in the end of March and early April, when it really started to speed up here in the States. For the first time in my career, I was scared to go to work. We had never seen something spread so quickly and have such deadly consequences. So it was, it was terribly difficult. We've been able to manage it with uh, proper PPE use. So we all are now feeling much more comfortable. So Dr. Dreyfus, do you see healthcare workers wearing the right kind of PPE? And does that vary perhaps by department? Yes, absolutely. I think over the last eight months, we've become acutely aware of the different levels of PPE and when and when not to use certain products, which hasn't always been the case prior to COVID-19. And depending on the environment that you're in, uh, sometimes PPE can get misused just by, by the intensity of the work. I know in the emergency department, things aren't very well planned because we're constantly responding to emergent situations that we can't even dream of controlling. So we might be running in and out of a resuscitation room with all our quote-unquote gear on to go grab an essential piece of equipment. Whereas in the ICU, you really can't step out of that room without somebody stopping you at the door, instructing you to doff your your gown or mask and gloves appropriately, because typically those situations are a little bit more planned. So, you know, I don't think it's the healthcare workers' fault. Sometimes it's just the acuity of the situation. But generally speaking, I believe that they are very well aware of the proper use of the PPE. What has been some of the key challenges you've seen in hospitals during COVID-19? That's a great question, Ty. There's so much confusion in healthcare about what kinds of PPE to use and how to tell what's really going to protect you, especially now. Too often in real-life settings, the protective classifications of surgical gowns and masks may not be understood or questioned. And as a result, the healthcare worker may end up wearing inadequate PPE for the task at hand, 
putting themselves and their patients at risk for contamination and disease transmission. So I'm glad to provide whatever help I can to demystify the process. Well, let's start with masks. Tell us, Dr. Dreyfus, about the three different types of masks. Generally speaking, medical face masks fall into three groups, surgical masks, procedure or isolation masks, and of course, the N95 respirator. The CDC refers to them all as medical masks, but there are important differences. The easiest way to tell them apart is that procedure masks affix with stretch loops behind the ears, while masks intended for use in surgery have two sets of ties for a more secure fit to the face. N95 respirator masks usually have over-the-head elastic bands to hold them firmly in place. So what is a mask actually made from? And could you use it again, or is it designed to single use? Both surgical and procedure masks for use in medical settings are made with what are called non-woven fabrics. They're designed to protect the wearer and the patient from the transfer of microorganisms, large droplets, splashes of blood, and any other bodily fluids. Can you reuse them? No, they are disposable and intended only for a single use. Are there specific industry test standards that help measure mask performance? Yes, there are. ASTM test methods are used to measure mask performance. To carry an ASTM rating, the FDA requires that the mask be tested for fluid resistance, flame resistance, particulate filtration, which actually is not required for the Australian standards, bacterial filtration, and breathability. Depending on the test results, a mask may be rated ASTM level 1, 2, or 3, with the highest performance rated level 3. But note, not all masks in the marketplace are ASTM rated. So thinking about N95s, when should an N95 respirator be used instead of a surgical or procedure mask? Well, to decide between using a surgical mask or a respirator, you need to consider what is the hazard, how infectious is the hazard, Is it transmitted by contact, droplets, or airborne? And what is the particle size of the airborne hazard? What about for a virus like COVID-19? In the case of a novel pathogen such as COVID-19, where these answers may not yet be clearly known, the CDC advises using the most protective N95 respirator. What about when you're in surgery? A surgical N95 can be used in the operating theater when the risk of respiratory contamination is high. And that's because a surgical N95 has a certain amount of fluid resistance. They are called N95 respirators because they are certified by NIOSH, an agency of the CDC. They filter out at least 95% of very small particles, 0.3 microns to be specific, including bacteria and viruses from the air breathed through the mask. In addition to providing a barrier to splashes, droplets, and sprays around the nose and mouth, you may see references to KN95s. These are made and certified in China, not by NIOSH. Unlike a surgical or procedure mask, N95 respirators must be fit tested for each wearer to ensure that the air is passing only through the mask and not venting out the sides. And each user needs to be fit tested for every type and brand of N95 they might use as a snug individual fit is essential to achieve this higher level of protection. What about face shields? What role do they play in providing another layer of protection for healthcare workers? Well, face shields are not primary respiratory protection. They provide barrier protection for the eyes as an alternative to goggles, but the CDC recommends they be used in combination with a mask or respirator for droplet or airborne precautions. In Asia Pacific, N95s haven't been readily available over the past few months. In fact, they've been really quite scarce. What can healthcare workers do when they're not available 
in particular, are reusing or sterilising surgical N95s a viable option? Currently, at OMI Halyard, we don't have sound scientific data regarding the safety and effectiveness of any decontamination methods for our Halyard-branded N95 respirators. We're working closely with leading sterilization companies to identify processes to extend the life of our N95 respirators and ensure that they continue to perform as intended. One of the other critical PPE products is, of course, gowns. There doesn't appear to have been much discussion around pandemic gown choice or indeed the difference in protection levels. Can you share with us a basic overview? Well, yes. You have surgical gowns and isolation or procedure gowns, and there are various types, ratings, and protection levels for each kind, as they're used in many different situations. By the way, both surgical gowns and surgical masks are considered class two medical devices and must meet or exceed performance requirements set by the FDA. And what are the key differences between a classification of a surgical gown versus an isolation or procedure gown? Surgical gowns come in a variety of styles and materials, but always have long sleeves with knitted cuffs and full coverage in the back. They can be reusable with woven fabric, but the majority of surgical gowns tend to be disposable, non-woven fabric, usually polypropylene, and all gowns for use in the operating theater must be sterilized. Isolation gowns, also called procedure or cover gowns, are meant for use in all sorts of interactions with patients in the healthcare setting, other than the operating theater. They range from very light coverage gowns for minimal procedures or patient contact, all the way up to full coverage gowns for use with isolation precautions. Isolation gowns can be cuffed or not and be either open back or fully covered. So selecting the right gown is absolutely critical to manage risk. How can we really identify the difference between gowns? Surgical gowns are often labeled according to their AAMI or AMI level. Like the ASTM levels for surgical masks, AMI ratings are based on how a gown performs against a series of barrier performance criteria, with level four providing the highest barrier to fluids and microorganisms. The highest barrier protection is in the primary critical zones of the gown in the front and on the sleeves, where direct contact with blood, bodily fluids, and other infectious material is likely to occur. So the sleeves and seams also have to be fully sealed, not sewn, to prevent fluid penetration. Isolation or procedure gowns may also carry ratings for AMI levels one, two, or three, based on barrier performance and fluid resistance. To aid in choosing the right gown for each use, AMI-rated surgical gowns should be clearly marked on the gown, not just on the packaging. So is it accurate to say that only AMI Level 3 or 4 gowns are appropriate for surgical settings? Well, it's not that simple. It depends on the risk of bacterial contamination and fluid exposure, and that varies with the type of surgical procedure. AMI Level 3 gowns are used for a wide range of surgeries where the risk is moderate, while AMI 4 gowns are best used for high fluid and lengthy procedure. So the combination of AMI 3 and AMI 4 surgical gowns could serve just about all OR procedures. On the other hand, for minimally invasive or in-office procedures, sometimes referred to as lumps and bumps, where fluid impact is expected to be low, you could be perfectly okay with an AMI 2 isolation or procedure gown. So what about if a healthcare worker is specifically working with cytotoxic drugs? I assume this is going to require a special gown. That's correct. PPE for use with chemotherapy and other hazardous drugs must meet different standards. Because the CDC has determined that there is no safe level of exposure to chemotherapy and other hazardous drugs, 
the gowns, gloves, and masks used in chemotherapy administration, compounding, even spill cleanup must be tested for resistance to permeation by these highly toxic chemicals. While the FDA set a minimum of 10 drugs to pass, there are chemo gowns and gloves that provide protection against up to 52 of these hazardous drugs. Some countries are following the U.S. Pharmacopeia Convention that was recently issued. That contains new guidance, USP 800, for handling hazardous drugs, including very specific and stringent PPE requirements, from N95 respirators and face shields to shoe covers and everything in between. So can you assume that if you're donning an Amy 4-rated gown for surgery, it can generally be used for chemotherapy scenarios? Unfortunately, you can't assume that. Just because a gown is Amy 4-rated for surgery, it can be used in chemotherapy. It's best to ensure that your surgical gown is both Amy Level 4 and has been tested to resist permeation by chemotherapy and other hazardous substances, especially with cancer patients now having chemo procedures performed in the operating theater. Chemo gowns must be fully impervious film fabric, closed in the back and have no seams or openings in the front that could allow chemicals to penetrate. What can healthcare workers do if the ideal Amy level gown isn't available? Can surgical gowns be used as isolation gowns and vice versa? And what about double gowning? Is that an option? That's an interesting question, Lisa. While right now we are seeing a lot of crossover in PPE based on what products facilities are able to provide, the answer is no. Surgical gowns and isolation gowns are not interchangeable. Isolation gowns are not approved for use in surgery. In regulatory terms, that would be an off-label use. Therefore, manufacturers are unlikely to make such a recommendation. As for having the right Amy level, it's a guideline, not a mandate. Use the most appropriate product you can for the task at hand. Some users will double gown to try to achieve better barrier protection, but we have no data on the efficacy of double gowning. And lastly, let's talk about gloves. What are some of the distinctions between a surgical glove versus an exam glove? Once again, there's a big distinction between surgical gloves and exam gloves, and the FDA classifies them differently as well. Typically, surgical gloves are sterile, packaged in pairs, and handed with left and right gloves in each pair. They can be made of many materials, including nitrile, neoprene, polyisoprene, and the classic latex. They come in many sizes to offer optimal fit for each user, as good fit and tactile sensitivity are critical for surgeons. Surgeons may also double glove for extra protection from viral contamination or in procedures like orthopedics that involve heavy instruments. Some countries have a standard that mandates double gloving to provide a barrier in the event of a break in the glove integrity. And when should you use an exam glove? Exam gloves can be found everywhere else in healthcare. Exam gloves are generally less tight fitting for easy donning and removal, come in fewer sizes, and can be worn on either hand. What about chemotherapy gloves? Chemotherapy gloves, like chemo-rated gowns, must be tested to resist a range of highly toxic hazardous drugs, according to ASTM test D6978. As users are often required to double glove, chemo gloves come in underglove and outer glove combination. That's to prevent cross-contamination. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information, Dr. Dreyfus. I'm sure our healthcare colleagues across Asia-Pacific will find this information extremely useful. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Lisa and Ty. It's been great talking to you both today. 
We'll tie my key takeaway points from today with that you really need to be aware of the performance rating applicable for your PPE. Make sure you check the surgical gown or procedure gown you're donning or even the mask you're donning to see what ASTM or AMI rating is reflected. And be particularly careful working with cytotoxics because there are products purpose designed to provide the required protection you need. Oh, I agree, Lisa. And for me, the key takeaways were around the N95 respirators. For healthcare workers to make sure that they really do filter out the 95% of microscopic particles and making sure they're fit tested to ensure healthcare workers are receiving the most effective level of protection. The role of PPE is more important than ever before, especially with the unknown nature of COVID-19. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode in the Halyard Education podcast series. We certainly hope you've gained some insights from Dr. Dreyfus covering PPE in a pandemic. For more information, visit any of our Asia-Pacific websites at halyardhealth.com. I'm Lisa McKee and see you next time. Halyard has a proud history of partnering our innovative clinical products with in-service training, customer support, clinical research and education to enable healthcare workers to remain at the forefront of best practice and industry trends. If you are an existing Halyard customer, visit halyardeducationfoundation.com.au and register to access our online education. If you have any questions about Halyard's innovative product line, please contact our customer care team or your Halyard representative. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy nor position of any other agency, organisation, employer or company. It's important healthcare customers consider their own standards and not hold these views in perpetuity.